you look at Chris Paul, you play point guard. I mean, this dude is a point guard. I mean, he, he just yeah. plays the point guard position the right way. When you look at him, do you just marvel at the things that he does on that basketball court? Yeah, just being the leader that he is, man, uh, you know, um, just playing against him, you can tell that he's uh, a great leader. His teammates love him. Uh, he's well-respected, uh, obviously, amongst his peers and his teammates, I'm sure. So just the way he goes out there and leads the show, uh, he's, he doesn't really want to score. He wants to set everyone up. But, you know, as a point guard, he still can score, which is a, a great thing for a leader and, and for a point guard of your team and for a franchise, you know, a franchise player like himself. What was it like playing against him? Uh, it was fun. You know, it's always chip because CP, you know, is always, you know, getting into to something. Like like last night when he fell into uh, or ran into DeMarcus Cousins' elbow. I mean, it was a little bit of acting, but, you know, he got hit. But he definitely sold it and made it <laughs> made it worth made it worthwhile. But, uh, you know, he's definitely a chippy player. Um, it's, it's always good to get a good – always good to get to go up against the best, uh, you know, in, in your position and, and see how you uh, uh, feather out. Is it fun playing against a guy who's chippy? Oh, yeah, for sure, yeah. You just got to know that going in. You know, he's going to dictate the game or try to dictate the game and get the refs on his sides and, and do all these little things to, to get calls and to get in the bonus uh, so they can get free throws early. So you just got to keep that in mind. Just play your game and stay solid. What makes him so good? Um, just like you said, just being the leader. I think that's the, the main thing. I think a lot of people under, underestimate that about uh, CP, him being a leader, and then his ability to score. Um, and, and then his ability not just to go from mid-range until three-point line. So he stretched his – he made his game, I think, better offensively, especially this year. So you look at the Suns at this point. Obviously, the Bucks are out there. The Hawks are out there. Both of those teams kind of banged up at this point. Are the Suns the favorite going into these NBA finals? They do have home court advantage. I think so. I mean, I think they have everything that you want. They have a franchise player in Devin Booker. They have a, a you know, a Robin to your Batman, which is CP. They have a big man who, who blocks shots, plays defense, and can get you 15 to 20 points a night, 20 points a night and rebound. And they have uh, other guys around them, you know, 3 and D guys, Jay Crowder, um, other guy from Villanova, I forgot his name. But uh, he's, a three, yeah, he's a three-point threat, and he plays defense. And, uh, you know, we got Cameron Payne, uh, a spark plug coming off the bench. So I think they're definitely the favorite, and I think uh, they have a great chance of winning it. We, we saw – you know, we talked about Chris Paul and, and the chippy stuff. We saw him and Pat Beverly. They had their whole thing going back and forth throughout the course of this series. And ultimately, we saw Beverly kind of culminate it with the push. Yeah. <laughs> your, your thoughts on that? Uh, you know, it's just funny. That's how, that's how playoff basketball is, you know. When you play someone for, you know, six or seven games, you really start developing a um, not a hatred for him, but, you know, you just don't like him. And you want to beat him so bad that, uh, you know, he just went out. He, that's the only thing he really could do is push him <laughs> to let him know that, you know, he was pretty pissed off and mad about it. But uh, CP did the right thing. You know, he was let his play speak for itself. And uh, I think the whole Suns team uh, the same way because, you know, it could have ended up, you know, probably pretty bad, but glad it didn't. When when you look at that situation, I look at Pat Beverly. He's the type of dude always in your shorts, always, you know, talking trash, always yapping. But it felt like, you know, in that particular situation, he was able to dish it out, but he couldn't necessarily take it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know, that's like, it's like the, the, the announcer said, it's always it's no fun when the rabbit got the gun. But, you right. know, when you're talking trash, you know, you got to, uh, you know, deal with the consequences. You can't, you know, always be ready to fight, but you got to uh, take take your L's and just uh, re regroup next year. And, and hopefully they can maybe beat him next year. Who knows? Playing against a guy like a Patrick Beverly for you, how was that? Uh, like I said, it's always fun. I always enjoy playing against the best competition and, and against those who, you know, who, who pride themselves on defense 
or on offense. And uh, it's always fun to go against those guys and, and just to hear them trash talk. I'm, I've never been a, a big trash talker, but if you start talking trash, I mean, I'll talk back to you. <laughs> and then, I'll, you know, I'll play even harder, you know, and, and want to win even more so than I already did. So it's definitely fun playing against those type of guys. And you play with Paul George in Indiana. And Paul George, he, he does catch a lot of flack. He's a very good player. Let, let's be yeah. real about Paul George. He's a very good player, but he catches a lot of flack. And in some respect, it may come with the territory of being a superstar and getting paid the type of money that he gets paid. But do you get, think he gets an unfair rap? You know, we always hear about the pandemic P and all yeah. this other stuff when it comes to him. Do you think he gets an unfair rap? Uh, I think so. I mean, you know, it, it comes with the territory. I'm sure he knows that. Uh, it comes with, you know, being a superstar and uh, being in L.A. I mean, that's the, the brightest of the bright lights. And once you once you win there or lose there, uh, the, the spotlight is going to get bigger and bigger. So um, I'm definitely sure that he is aware of all that, you know, the positive talk and the negative talk. So he just has to, you know, take it in and regroup and, and come back better than ever. And then hopefully, you know, they can stay healthy throughout the playoffs. You kind of played with him when he was turning into a star. Did, did you see him becoming the player that he became? Oh, yeah, for sure. He was definitely on the way, you know, if not there already. Um, right. Definitely had the confidence. And I think, you know, the the injury uh, hurt him a little bit, but I definitely think he has got his confidence back now. And uh, now I think I think last night they were just too tired. They, you know, used all their energy to, to win that game five. And uh, game six, you can tell PG wasn't really the PG like he was the game before. Uh, obviously, he had 41 the game before in, in this game. He really didn't. Not to say he didn't do much, but he wasn't as effective as he was the last game uh, in Phoenix. Kawhi Leonard, if, if they would have had Kawhi Leonard, would this have been a different series? Uh, you know, I think so, but, you know, it's all what ifs. There's, there's, who cares about that now? <laughs> uh, Phoenix uh, beat them, you know, they got to move on, and now the Clippers got to regroup and, and see what they can add on or or uh, take away to from the series. One thing that we've noticed in these playoffs is that we've seen a lot of star players get injured. Some people say it's the schedule. Some people, I mean, a lot of people point to the schedule, you know, the quick turnaround from last season. What are your thoughts on, on seeing some of these injuries? Do you think it's the schedule? Do you think it's the quick turnaround from last season? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, some has to do with the scheduling. Some has to do with the quick turnaround. But, I mean, at the end, you know, it's, it's injuries are going to happen uh, regardless. And if it wasn't star players, it would probably been some role players or, or whatever the case may be. But, you know, it's uh, it just comes with the game. we got to take it from what it's worth and then and move on. So we look at the Eastern Conference now, and, and, and we look at another point guard who's playing some big-time basketball in Trey Young. He missed game four with a uh, foot injury, but this guy's playing some big-time basketball and doing some big-time things, unlimited range, big-time mm -hmm. passer. When, when you look at his game, what impresses you the most about Trey Young? Uh, just the way how much he gets into the paint. Uh, he's a small guard, but he gets into the paint a lot. He's not scared of contact. And uh, like I said, or like you just said, his, his range is kind of – once you cross half court, you got to start guarding. You got to pick him up. He's like a mini step carry, you know, and, and stretches. So he's definitely, uh, you know, one of those top, I feel like, top point guards in the league right now. So, you know, uh, there's been that comparison between these two, Luka Dantich, Trey Young, you know, both in the same draft, both traded for each other. C.J. Watson was the GM. Who would he choose, Trey Young or Luka Dantich? Uh I don't know. I, I like Trey Young. I like I like shooting. Um, not to say Luca can't shoot, but uh, I like shooting. Uh, but I like bigger guards also. So it's kind of hard to you know. I feel like you're gonna win either way. Uh, I think Trey. Uh, I think Luca is more ball dominant uh, than Trey Young, uh, and I like I like the to move the ball a little more. So I like Trey Young. I would I would go with Trey Young. Can they beat the Suns without Giannis? Uh, I don't know. It's gonna be tough. But uh, you know, I think uh, Giannis. 
uh, brings a different structure to your team. Uh, only thing I, I, I kind of, you know, uh, are hesitant about is Giannis and his free throw shooting. I think that's going to be a big thing, you know, coming down the stretch uh, in this series or if they get to the finals. And you talked about the free throw shooting. I mean, it got the they all counting every time he's at the free yeah. throw line. I mean, how long was your routine, roughly? How long was your free throw? Maybe seven seconds, a couple of dribbles, you know, say, okay. say a little something positive in my head, and then, you know, shoot my shoot the free throw. What, what was one of those positive things you said in your head? Uh, I just used to say like a, a Bible scripture, and then uh, you know, okay. just, and then uh, just shoot my free throw. I'm not, I don't know what Giannis says. Uh, his can't be a Bible scripture if he's airballing. <laughs> he, he might be one of those long scriptures. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is, is, is there a particular? Is there a go-to scripture? Uh, my favorite is Psalms 23. Okay. All right. Yeah. So that's it. All right. Is there so? I mean, do you have like? Any superstition? Just let's just say you you say Psalms twenty three one day, you say Romans twenty eight eight another day. Like, yeah. is there like you know what I mean? Like you going to run uh, with Psalms twenty three? Do you stick with Psalms twenty three? Yeah, I stick with Psalms twenty three throughout. Uh, you know, I'm okay. kind of try to be consistent. Uh, I never change it up. If I miss a free throw, doesn't matter. I'm still going to do the same thing, the same routine every time. You, you talked about Nate McMillan, and, and and I don't think he gets the credit that he deserves. I mean, this guy has won in every place he's been. He's a very good coach, a very consistent coach. Do you, do you think McMillan gets the credit that he deserves? I mean, he's done a remarkable job with this team. Yeah, I don't think he gets the credit uh, he deserves. He was, he was my coach in uh, Indiana for a couple of years, and I loved Nate uh, when he was there. Always talked with me and gave me positive talks. And I even uh, used to watch him when, I, when he used to play for the, the Sonics. So I definitely was a big fan of his. So uh, I definitely think he should get more credit. Uh, but, you know, hopefully, you know, it, it'll come in due time. I want to ask you this. You, you, like you said, you played the point guard position uh, in your career. We look at a Ben Simmons now, right? I mean, he's a guy throughout the course of these playoffs who struggled at the free throw line, a guy that was very reluctant for whatever reason to shoot the basketball. When you watch that, what, what, what are you, what's your reaction to it? Um, I think it's just lack of confidence. Uh, honestly, it's hard to watch, but the NBA is going into bigger guards, which is fine. But uh, you got to be able to uh, score. If I was a coach, I would want – or coach or GM, I want to pick players that uh, are who are all threats on the court. So I want five people, you know, who can shoot the ball, who can dribble, who can be all interchangeable, things of that nature. But I think with him, it's just a lack of confidence. And I hope you know you get in the gym this summer and and get that confidence up and work on his shot and, and work on his free throw shooting. Do you think he can be? I mean, you look at him, pretty much fifteen, eight, and eight when it comes to Ben Simmons in terms of his stat line: three-time All Star, you know, first-team All Defense, so on and so forth. Can he still be – I mean, obviously he's an effective player, but can he be a winning player with this style of play without shooting? Uh, without shooting, I don't think so. I think he has to develop a jump shot at least. It doesn't have to be a three-point jump shot. It has to be at least you know a free-throw line jump shot, be able to hit a pull-up jumper, uh, something of that nature. But he has to be able to score the ball. And like I said, he's already effective. If he can just add that little one you know piece to his game, he can be even better and help his team more. You ever experienced anything like that where you just became gunshot? Uh, not really. I mean, I, uh, I always had the confidence to shoot the ball, uh, but I also just played in, in the flow of uh, the team offense. Um, I think the only time I really was reluctant to shoot was when I injured my elbow, so I, I couldn't really shoot. So that was about it. Do you think? I mean, without you completely knowing the situation, do you almost think like a, a sports psychologist on some level could be something that could help him? 
Uh, yeah, I, if I was him, I would try anything, you know, uh, anything right. to help. Uh, but he probably knows his situation better than, right. you know, any of us, you know, talking about it. So I'm sure those, hopefully those conversations have come up and, you know, hopefully, you know, that's an option for him. So we look at your career now. You're, you're a guy now who early on, you know, you, you, you went to Europe to start out. You went to the D League and ultimately you got the shot in the NBA. As you made your journey to the NBA, were there times where you thought the NBA necessarily wasn't going to happen for you? Oh, yeah, yeah for sure. There's def- definitely times where I wanted to quit. Um, so uh, but my parents, you know, uh, talked me out of it. They kept me encouraged and, and just kept me positive. Um, but, yeah, there's definitely times where I didn't think the NBA was going to come. Uh, I definitely thought I was good enough to be there. But, uh, you know, just it's all about timing, I feel like. And I just tried to work on the things that all the GMs and the scouts told me that I needed to work on to get on the NBA roster. And I, you know, tried to do that and perfect it in my best ability. Was there a moment, a specific moment, a specific year where you like, this is it, I'm done, I- I'm not playing, I'm not going to shoot for the NBA any longer? Uh, well, yeah, when, like my first year, I think after my first year overseas, uh, so my first year overseas, I had uh, a new coach every month. So I was like, you know, uh, this isn't uh, how, this is what I signed up for, uh, being a new coach every month. Uh, I don't know if this is the, the right place for me. So uh, I definitely, you know, uh, want to give up and quit. But like I said, I just had a, a good support system and, and they uh, always told me about the, the hard work that I put in and, and uh, just let me know that, you know, things aren't always when I want them to. We just got to stick with it and hopefully it pans out. Now you talked about that support system. If that support system was not in place, would you have made the NBA? Uh, probably not. I, I doubt it. <laughs> Definitely. Okay. Uh, they get all the credit, uh, my parents. And uh, like I said, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I would be person I am or anywhere I am if it wasn't for them. So ultimately, you, you got your shot with the Warriors, got a 10-day contract and, and you made it work. I mean, you, you took advantage of that 10-day contract and ultimately you stayed with the Warriors uh, for a couple seasons. Talk about your time in Golden State. You know, you were behind Baron Davis. You played with Don Nelson. Uh, you know, it can be quirky at times, but it, it's a fun offensive style of play. But talk about playing for Nelly and, and, and being with the Warriors. It was fun, man. That's probably my best years. I, I feel like uh, they definitely gave me my first shot. So it was definitely my funnest team to play for. And, and playing for Coach Nelly was was great. He told me as soon as I got there, he would see what I had. He would throw me into the fire and, uh, you know, just go from there. And uh, everything he told me he wanted me to work on, I just tried to perfect that each and every summer, each and every practice. And uh, I think that was the, the best thing that ever happened to me because they played my style of, of basketball, which is a, a run-and-gun style of basketball, and that's what Nelly was known for. And so you were more of a scoring type of point guard throughout the course of your career. Did, did you talk about your style of play? I think my style of play was kind of just whatever the, the system needed, whatever the team needed. Uh, and, and Golden State, it was more scoring. And, um, Chicago was kind of – a little bit of both, but mostly getting my teammates involved, but still being able to score the ball. And then kind of like in Brooklyn, it was kind of went from uh, just being a scorer because we didn't really have anyone off the bench besides me and Andre Blash. And then, you know, and as it went to Indiana or Orlando, it kind of just was whatever the team needed. Um, I didn't want to, you know, be too selfish or anything. I just wanted to to, to win, really, and try to get to the championship and, and, and win the finals. And so in Golden State, you play with Steven Jackson. What was it like playing with Jack? Uh, Jack is funny, man. He's a he's a great guy, uh, great uh, great leader. He's a he's a loyal guy, so he's always riding for his teammates. And I learned a lot from him and Baron and Al Harrington, uh, Matt Barnes, Monte Ellis. Those are guys that kind of really shaped me 
uh, into the the player I became uh, on on and off the court because they taught me a lot about the business side of basketball. Also, talk about that business side of basketball. You talk about the business side of basketball, and it's not the thing that's always talked about. Um, wh- what did you learn coming in that you didn't know? I mean, what did you learn going out that you didn't know coming in? Uh, I didn't know anything coming in, so <laughs> so. I just knew about basketball, how much, how bad I wanted to play in the NBA. But, you know, as you get there, you learn about taxes. You learn about, you know, um, uh, just I, I feel like it's everything. Just making business deals on the side, uh, sponsorships, uh, little things like that, that, you know, where you can make more money on the side just from your name and likeness, um, things of that nature. And, uh, you know, kind of like all the college athletes now being able to, to get paid for their, their image and likeness. Imagine that was you. I know, right? I need to. I need to back me. I need to sue. <laughs> what was 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 the business of basketball? Was that difficult? Was it hard? Was it, was it one of those things, man? I just don't want to deal with. No, I don't think it was hard. It just okay. uh, a lot of people don't know about it, you know. And a lot of players probably don't want to take the time to to really get in the classroom and learn about it, and then use it to the best of their ability because that's what you know the teams and. Uh, are doing for themselves so we got to understand the business side of basketball understand contracts understand the cba all that kind of stuff so you can be in a better position to you know uh, last long in this league and then also uh, maintain a, a good income for your family was it was it difficult being able to spend the right way if you will uh, uh i think so yeah because you know just coming from the inner city coming from not having anything and once you get you know a six-figure deal or something like that you Want to just spend it all and buy things that you never had before, uh, but you also got to know you got to you want to live for you know thirty forty years down the road, and uh, you know save up for that, save up for kids and, and college and all that kind of stuff. So uh, it's definitely not smart to, to blow it all, but you know some people do, and but that's hopefully we can try to change that narrative where athletes aren't going broke. So did, was it difficult in terms of friendships? Uh, no, not really, because like I said, I never had any money, so uh, all my okay. friends didn't have. Any either <laughs> uh and when i got money it wasn't it wasn't really any any different uh they treated me the same i still treat them the same and i'm still the same person you know with or without money so it doesn't really change who i am so you, you didn't feel like an obligation to help this person that person uh no only, only just my family and really okay. just my parents uh you know because um obviously i do other nice things for my family but it's never anything to to buy them a house or a car or anything like that Plus, I didn't have that much anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so you ultimately went to the Chicago Bulls, and there, you know, 2010, 2011, you played with a guy named Derrick Rose. Uh, he won the MVP that particular season, battled injuries after that. But that Derrick Rose season, 2010, 2011, the MVP season, the explosion, the, the highlight reel plays, talk about that Derrick Rose. Uh, that was crazy, man. That was unreal. That's, uh, that's kind of like, uh, I won't name any names, but I've seen a lot of star players, a lot of franchise players run from him uh, during that season and not want to guard him and, and do, and, you know, fake sick. Uh, but that was, that was crazy to see. Uh, definitely happy for him and, and still happy for him how he transitioned and came back from all those injuries that he's had. And I feel like he's a he's a Hall of Fame player in my eyes. So uh, hopefully, you know, he'll get that nod, you know, one day when he's done playing. So let's just say no injuries ever happened to Derrick Rose. What kind of conversation would we be having about him today? Uh, I think the same ones. He's you know probably one of the, the greatest players at his position, uh, definitely a Hall of Fame, and, and maybe a couple championships under his belt. 
That 2010-2011 season, was that your best chance to win an NBA title, you think? Uh, I think either that one or the year we went to the Eastern Conference Finals with the Pacers. Okay. Uh, then I think uh, I think that year when D Rose got hurt, I think if he didn't get hurt, you know, we could have, you know, made some some noise uh, deeper into the playoffs also that year. But you know, I think it just ends up how how God wants it to end up. It wasn't meant to be. <laughs> well, it was so you look at the, so you felt like maybe that team was better. Uh, I think so. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, that's that second time around. We I feel like we would beat the Heat that time. Okay. Uh, that first year, you know, we kind of got we we all were just new to the playoffs. Um, no one expected us to do well that that 2010 season. And we kind of just shocked, shocked everyone by being, you know, the best team in the league for two years straight. And I think that first year, uh, the Heat really showed us, you know, how to how to win in the playoffs. And the next year, I think we were ready. You kept running into LeBron. Yeah, I know. I know right? that, that, guy, that guy, LeBron, man, he just messes up for everybody. <laughs> for sure, for sure. I mean, well, you look at it, he had the Eastern Conference on lock for yeah. know, what, a decade. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just – yeah, I mean he's a great player. Obviously, yeah. you kept running into him and kept running into him. Yeah, and unfortunately, couldn't get past him. So let me ask you this: I, I, I look at that 2012 season when when uh, Rose went down against the Sixers in that series. I believe you became the starter, correct? Yeah, I became the starter. Yeah. Okay, so being thrust in that particular position, how was that? Uh, it wasn't anything. Was I wasn't. No, it wasn't anything I wasn't used to because uh, D Rose, like throughout the whole season, uh, D Rose hurt a lot. Uh, so I was starting even the the season before a couple games he missed. And I was still starting, and I started uh, a lot of games in Golden State also. So I was still used to it. So it wasn't like you know I'm going from playing ten minutes to playing thirty five or thirty nine minutes. Uh, it's definitely something I was used to and and ready for the challenge and that's something that I wanted. So it wasn't anything out of the ordinary. Was that the ultimate gut punch when when he went down in that particular game? Uh, I think so. I mean, because we were up by like eleven, maybe twelve points, yeah. maybe at the minute or something to go. And but if it you know, Tibbs, yeah. But you know, if you know Tibbs, and uh, as we know, since we played for him, he plays all the way to the end, he, to the final buzzer, and, and uh, that's just how his mentality is. He never wants to give up or give the opponent any satisfaction of you know we're we're letting up or anything like that. So he just left him in. But uh, it's definitely a fluke injury. But like I said, it's it's probably bound to happen at some point in time. And I know you said what's meant to be is what's going to be meant to be, but I look at that particular series, right? To be honest with you, I'm a lifelong Sixers fan, so I watch that series yeah. fairly closely. I contend, even though I, I don't want to see nobody go down, and yeah. and I'm glad the Sixers won the series, but I contend if Joe Kim Noah doesn't get hurt, I think yeah. you guys still find a way to win that series. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I think uh, even even with that series, I think we had that game. You know, we missed some free throws at the end, and I and I, and I know. Just from the looks on the Sixers, their players' face, they didn't want to go back to Chicago because they knew we were going to win that game. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, but you know, like I said it happens how it happens. For sure, and there's really nothing you can do about it. Yeah. What's going to be is what's going to be, and just got to live with it, like you said. So, you know, obviously, you know, you, you went along and you went to Indiana there, and again, you had some success in Indiana. You ultimately went to Orlando, and then you you, you played in Turkey. What was it like playing in Turkey? Uh, you know, it was fun. It was different. It was a different city, different uh, situation. I just wanted to see if you know if I still still had it. Uh, still felt like I had some some juice in me left to play, and wanted to still play. So I definitely had a, a fun time. You know, going going across the water and, and meeting some new teammates, meeting some new players, and and just seeing a different culture and lifestyle. And it was pretty fun to see. So did you like it? 
Yeah, like yeah. I mean, it was about it. The city I was in, it wasn't the best city, but you know, I made made it uh, made it worth it. Uh, but definitely got to see another culture, uh, get to play travel to a different uh, uh, country that I probably would have never went to, you know, on my own. And uh, definitely uh, seeing some things, and definitely want to go back there. So 2018, 2019, that pretty much was it for you at this. Did did you want to continue on? Did, what, what happened there? Uh, I wanted to continue on, but you know, uh, at the time, you know, the league was kind of changing. Uh, the league was going younger, uh, and you know, uh, no team really really wanted me. So I was, you know, I was fine with that. Uh, I'd rather walk away, you know, on my own two feet than being injured or anything like that. So uh, it was definitely, you know, a, a great run. Goes by fast, but I had a great time with it. So you retired around 32, correct? No, I think I was 35, maybe. 35, okay. Yeah. 35, 34. So was was obviously a very young man, still a young man at 37. So yeah. was it, was it, uh, uh, how was it to your system to go from being a baller to being just a regular guy? Uh, it was fun, man. I, I, when I was, Playing basketball, I always did a lot of internships uh, for business, for real estate. So that's what I uh, wanted to do. So I always wanted to – I always had a, a plan, you know, because uh, I, I never knew how long uh, the NBA thing would last. Uh, you know, I came in there undrafted so, uh, and never knowing if I was going to make it. So uh, I definitely, you know, always planned for that plan B, uh, even while I was still playing uh, and maybe had a, a longer future. But I just wanted to make sure that I, when I was done playing, I had something to fall back on and I knew what I wanted to do going into it. Who is CJ Watson today? Um, a father, a husband, uh, children's author, um, angel investor, entrepreneur. Uh, run a foundation uh, with my family, and uh, we just try to uh, inspire kids and uh, give them hope, uh, and just let them know, even in, no matter where you come from, the inner city, suburbs, you can be successful in this life and, and make it, no matter your situations. <clears throat> what What is the key to success in your eyes? Uh, just believing in yourself, uh, working hard, being able to put the, the work in, and just being resilient, uh, and then also not giving up. Uh, I think that's the, the basis of it. So we got your foundation up here, quietstormfoundation.org, and talk about the things that you guys do with that particular foundation. We put on a free basketball camp every year. Uh, we also do a um, after-school program for kids uh, every second and fourth Saturday, and we also have a Black History Essay Month. Uh, contest that we do every year uh, where, where when I played in the NBA, we would fly the students from Vegas to to whatever NBA city I played on and uh, just give them a, a free limo ride, free hotel stay, free airline. And I uh, just let them, you know, kind of just bask in the, the NBA spotlight for, for a day. And I uh, just really just try to give them a support system and, and let them know, like I said before, just to know that they can be successful in this life. And, and then we got cjpens.com. You know, you got some children's book out there. Talk about that. Yeah, so uh, I never wanted to be an author. It just kind of, kind of just popped up on me and happened, and it was just an idea. And once I start an idea, I like to finish it through, and um, uh, just finished my third book. Uh, the first one's called CJ's Big Big Dream. The second one's called CJ's Big Project, and then the third one is called CJ's Big Moment. And uh, just uh, some stories about my life, true stories that happened, and I uh, wanted to inspire kids and give them hope. And so, is this? You know, like we said, you, you retired at the age of 34. You're 37 years old at this point. Is this who you are? Is this your legacy more so than basketball? The things that you do for your community, the things that you do for your family, the things that you do for children? Yeah, yeah for sure. I, I believe so. I think uh, basketball is just a little annoying uh, part of my life. Uh, it's not really who I am, um, but these things are, are, are what I want to be, you know, uh, around for and what I want to be, uh, want to stand for. Um, I think, uh, like, 
Ron always says, you know, we're more than athletes, so we definitely bring more to the table than just being an athlete and, you know, and dribbling and bouncing, bouncing a ball. <clears throat> I, I want to talk about your faith for a moment. You, you talked about the Bible verse in your head when you shoot free throws and everything. Your faith and then the NBA lifestyle, which can be fast, can be furious at times. Was it difficult to navigate those waters? Uh, I don't think it was difficult because, I, you know, like I said, it's just all about the person you are, all about your morals or values. Um, I'm not going to say I didn't go out and party because I definitely did. Right. I prayed probably a lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, definitely go out there and have fun. But you still, you know, just do everything in, in, uh, in retrospect. And also, you know, just never, you know, doing things that your parents would be proud of. So I think I just always just kept that in the back of my head. For sure. I mean, and again, like we say, you're human. You are what you are. You do what you do. But again, you're a man and you, you redeemed yourself. You'd be the person you are. So yeah. you, you look at everything now. And so end of the day, when it's all said and done, going back to the NBA, is it the Suns at this point? Uh, I think they're the favorite for now. Uh, you know, like I said, I think they're definitely the favorite. They, like I said, they have everything that this typical NBA game is, is about right now, three-point shooting, uh, um, defense, uh, big man, a franchise player who can score at will. And uh, I think they're the favorite right now to win it. Do you like today's game? I mean, it, it, it is a lot of three-point shooting. It is softer than it used to be. Do you like the way the, today's game is? I mean, I like it. It's, it's definitely a faster pace. Uh, obviously, you don't have your big man, you know, pounding the ball in the, in the post, which, you know, to each his own, you know, I guess. Uh, but I definitely like it because it's faster, uh, more exciting. Uh, and, and like I said, it's, uh, it's what the fans want to see, three-point shooting, dunks up and down trash talking uh it's physical at times i think um but it's definitely you know uh, a little softer <laughs> uh more tech more replays all that kind of stuff which slows the game down but i think in the end it's all it's a great product so we, we just look at in general to you who's the best player in the nba at this point uh kd easy okay better than lebron uh at this point yeah i think so okay so and, and just watching him during that playoff run I mean, just that series, and, and they were, you know, undermanned, but he almost got it done, single-handed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if his foot wasn't the size 16 or 17, whatever it is, <laughs> they'd probably be playing right now <laughs> with that one shot that his foot was on the line. But it was definitely, he's definitely, you know, a problem out there on the court, and uh, I think he's, you know, has a long, long future. Who, who's that heir apparent? Uh, I would say, you know, Devin Booker's right there. Um uh, then, uh, I mean, I like Anthony Davis a lot uh, when he's not injured. Um, you know, those are uh, just maybe some names. But those I think those are the top guys for, in my eyes. What about Luka? I like Luka, too. I, mean, I think there's a lot of – I mean, there's so much young talent in this league, uh, like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, uh, those guys over there. Um, I think uh, it's a lot of young talent, so the league is in great hands when, when, whenever LeBron wants to give it his crown. <laughs> <laughs> let, let, let me ask you about LeBron. I mean – do you feel like he can do it? You feel like he has one more left in him in terms of a championship? I think so. I think he does. Uh, I think he may maybe two or three more years at the max. Uh, but, you know, he's such a, a freak of an athlete. He can play as long as he wants, probably to you know, 40, whatever, if he wanted to. But because uh, he's still you know, jumping at the top of the box. Uh, obviously, he's not as, as durable and can't finish at the rim as, as he uh, used to in the past. But, you know, he's definitely still better than, you know, 300 of the other players in the league. <laughs> if if you were GM CJ Watson, would you keep Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons together? Um, I don't know. I think I had to 
break him up. I think they need more shooting around uh, a guy like Joel Embiid. Uh, he just he definitely has to have shooting, and like they got to take the model like you know the Phoenix Suns have. Uh, if you have a big man like that who can score the ball, you got to put a lot of shooting around him. A lot of guys who don't need the ball, and a lot of defensive guys. That's what I think they're they're missing. Damian Lillard. You know, different reports out there in terms of whether he wants to stay, when he wants to go. Who knows? Do you think he ends up staying in Portland? Uh, I think eventually he ends up leaving, uh, you know, because they can't put enough around him to, to satisfy him and to, to get him, to, you know, deep into the playoffs or eventually in the finals and, and win it. But I think he's probably better off suited somewhere else. And, and we look at your uh, ex-head coach, Tom Thibodeau, in, in New York. He had success this year. One thing about it, it appears about Tibbs, I never played for him, you did, but it appears that over time he kind of wears out his welcome. Do, yeah. do, you, do, do you think he can, you know, change that a little bit in New York City? Um, I don't know. I don't know if he wears out his welcome. I just think, you know, he just he just knows one way, <laughs> and that's just to always go hard and, you know, and 100 miles an hour. But I think he's, he's changed. I've heard he's changed. I heard he's eased up on practices. Uh, which is probably a good thing, uh, and you know that's that's a clear sign that Tibbs is is changing and is changing with the times of the game. How was the Tibbs practice? Uh, when I played for him, it was tough. Our practices were harder than games. We used to go into the games like, "Oh, this is easy," but we dreaded practice. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you? And I'm not knocking Tibbs. He's never won a championship, though. But do you think at some point because of that you have to? Like if you're doing something the same, same way over and over and it doesn't lead to success, you ultimately do have to change. Do, right. do you think he can change? I think he can change. Like I said, I think he, I think he has changed from what I've heard, you know, okay. um, from other people and that played for him uh, after I played for him. So I think he's definitely changing. And I think even when, you know, you're in the NBA or you're a head coach or whatever, you hear those, the pros and the cons. So you definitely hear, you know, what's not working and what you need to change. And eventually, you know, if you're not going to, you know, take that change, you won't be in that long. So I definitely obviously think he's changed because, uh, you know, the Knicks wouldn't want him if he didn't. Who, who was your favorite coach to play for? Uh, I think either Tibbs or uh, Don Nelson. They were both uh, two of my favorites. Who brought the best out of C.J. Watson? Was it Nelly? Uh, I think Nelly. Uh, he, I think he, he kind of started it and then, I think Tibbs just put a little fire on it uh, as far as like the IQ and being prepared, uh, studying and all that kind of stuff. For you, ultimately you didn't win a championship. Does that even matter? Uh, I mean, not really. I think you, every player wants to be on that pinnacle and say they won a championship. But, um, you know, obviously, like I said, what's going to happen is going to happen. And then uh, didn't didn't get there, didn't be able to win it, but definitely had a long and great career. I always, I always wonder this. I mean, ultimately, people have jobs, and you go to a job to make money. It's good to have success on that job, but at the end of the day, it's all about making the money. Was that your mindset at all at any point when you played the game? No, not really, because I didn't play the game for the money. Uh, I think I always wanted to be compensated, like I, my stats said, or I guess someone uh, that was in my position was making a certain amount, and I wasn't making that. I felt like I needed that amount <laughs> uh, if I was – I saw myself as good as him or my stats were as good as him. But uh, for me, I always played the game for the, for the love of the game. And I never started for to play for, uh, for a paycheck or for money. Now at this point, are you, are you done with basketball? Do, would you do like a big three type of deal? Would you do? Uh, yeah, I did big three uh, one year last year. Or the year before COVID. Uh, we made it to the championship. We lost, but uh, I think I, I might try it again this year. If my body holds up, who knows? We'll see. <laughs> how, how is your body? 
Uh, that's good. But, you know, we, as you get older, you know, your body doesn't recover as much. And uh, at, at this point, I, I feel like I don't want to be waking up going to get some shots up in the gym. I'm all, I'm all over that. <laughs> but, I mean, at three on three, I mean, it, it's it's less taxing in terms of, you know, running up and down the court. But yeah, but it's still, it's still physical. You still got to get out there and train. You don't want to look like a, you know, trash player out there. You don't want to get, you know, they, they still uh, have a lot of uh, social media stuff that's going on in Big Three. <laughs> so you don't want to get caught in those social media uh, uh, bits. <laughs> but we talk about, I mean, social media kind of when you, well, social media was big when you were still in the NBA. Maybe not as big as it is now, but it still was big. Did you pay attention to what was going on, on Twitter, where people were saying about you? Did you, did you pay attention to those type of things? I um, mean, I saw it. I, I got death threats after our uh, Chicago series against Philadelphia because uh, we lost. Okay. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I don't really take it into no heart. I mean, people want to see their teams win and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, uh, it just comes with the, the nature of the game, nature of the business. How serious, how serious did you take those death threats? Um, not that serious. I mean, like I said, I know what happens. I know people are going to say stuff on uh, Instagram or Twitter, but not say it in your face. So, like I said, it's not uh, anything. <laughs> I believe I believe in God, and God is my protector. So if it happens, right. then you know, we'll, we'll see it when it happens. When it happens. <laughs> you, you you can't defend yourself if you need to. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, again, everybody, make sure you, you go to the website quietstormfoundation.org. Support that cjpens.com. Make sure you support that, and make sure you hit him up on Twitter at quietstorm underscore 32 the quiet storm is that is that where where did that come from uh, my sister gave me that nickname when i was like 16 uh me and my younger brother were going to get a tattoo and uh i didn't have anything to put on it but she said why don't you just use the nickname quiet storm uh because you're quiet you're shy but when you get on the basketball court your game hits people like a storm so you know it kind of just stuck with me and it's pretty much true so but being are, are do you feel like you're still shy to this day uh, yeah, I'm still reserved, still shy, but uh, you know, I still I try to talk more, more to right. people and be open, you know, network and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I'm definitely, uh, definitely, you know, still, still that same person. Like I said, what was it difficult dealing with the media, being that you are a type of guy who's kind of reserved, you know, a little shy? Was was that a difficult transition for you? No, because I've been doing it since high school. Uh, probably before that, really, was uh, my mom had me in different camps and. And things of that nature, but I just didn't. I just hated when people asked dumb questions. That was it. <laughs> but I that, you no, 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 you did. <laughs> I would tell you if you did. If you did. Okay. <laughs> All right, sounds good. So, so fans, make sure you go to those spots. You know, cjpens.com, quietstormfoundation.org, and hit this man up on Twitter at quietstorm underscore thirty two and support. All the great things going on with CJ Watt. 